paying the price to win souls to Jesus, next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. be willing to give up or sacrifice to reach the lost or to be effective in the ministry God has you in? Would you let go of a liberty or right that you have? It's good for us to think about these things and we'll do just that today and tomorrow on Abounding Grace. We're in the middle of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in 1 Corinthians and in chapter 9 we're challenged to be sacrificial and giving just as the Apostle Paul was. Paul is in the middle of defending himself. And you'll notice that as you read through that he's been put on the defense because there's these accusations coming against him. It's never easy to be on the other side of accusations, but Paul does a good job wanting to assure the church in Corinth that his motives in ministering to them were pure, that his desire was not to take advantage of them, but to serve them. So much so that as he served in Corinth, Instead of taking the opportunity to live from the offerings of the church, to live from the gospel, which he could have done, it would not have been sinful, he chose to work and make tents. And as he made tents by day, he served by night, wanting to make sure that there could be no accusation. Even if the accusation came, it it wouldn't stick. It's a tough thing to be on the other end. Hey, all you, want, all you want is our money, Paul. But he was careful. He was careful to do the right thing, to, to keep his eyes focused on the things of God. And I, I know you've probably been there. I've certainly been there. To be on the other end of accusations is not fun. It almost immediately puts you and I into defensive mode, this desire to defend ourselves. It's especially not fun when your heart's right with God. When you know your conscience is clear, your your heart's right before God, your motives are pure, you're being led by the Lord, and the accusations still come. It stings. Notice back in verse 18 of this chapter, chapter 9, Paul says, What is my reward then, that when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge? that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. The Greek cities have begun to be filled with itinerant traveling preachers that would go from place to place and group to group. Unfortunately, in the large amount of roving pastors and roving preachers, some were claiming to be apostles and weren't. Some were taking advantage of the churches. Some were stealing. Some were were using a position that wasn't even theirs to take advantage of the churches. They were taking advantage of the gospel, even as their people today, that take advantage of the gospel for their own gain, even though the Bible warns against it. Don't do it. Don't take the word of God into hand to take advantage of people. It's not good. God's not pleased with it. But in the church in Corinth and in all the surrounding cities, it was happening. And Paul spent the first half of this chapter, chapter 9, establishing for us the credibility of his ministry. 
just sharing his heart with us. He didn't want the gospel hindered. He didn't want to present any stumbling block as he was preaching the gospel. And that was the beginning of chapter 9. I encourage you to pick up the study to catch up if you weren't with us. As it relates to accusations, though, you, you and I need to always be constantly reminded that accusations come to those that follow Jesus. It's part of the package of committing your life to Jesus. There will be people that misunderstand you. There will be people that misunderstand your motives. There will be people that even take a step of miss or attempting to misalign you, not only to followers of Jesus, but especially to those that lead, those that have taken on the responsibility. Don't forget, when you step up, when I step up to lead or to serve God in a leadership position, to take more responsibility upon, upon ourselves unto the Lord, to oversee the flock, don't think for a moment that, hell is going to throw a party for the great step of faith that you've just taken. They go, oh, great, you're going to step out, you're going to do great things, and, and hell just like so happy, just the opposite. And one of the ways that spiritual attacks come in our lives is through, unfortunately, other people. Sometimes the attacks are well-meaning, and sometimes they're very, very precise. That's why Paul tells young Timothy that those that are going to get involved in spiritual leadership, he says, you need to be blameless. Or in the old King James, above reproach. Now, some would come to that and say, oh, wait a minute, blameless, blameless. Are you kidding me? How could I ever be blameless? And they misunderstand that blameless is not perfect. He's not saying, if you want to be a leader in God's church, you must be perfect. That's not what the word means at all. The idea behind it, why don't we turn over there? Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, so you can write next to it. You won't forget this. 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's to the right. Pick up in verse 2. The application is... And the context of this is directly to spiritual leaders, but the application, we can pull back a little bit and see that it's for all believers, really, to live a life above reproach, to live a life that is blameless. Notice, we'll pick up in verse 1, chapter 3, 1 Timothy. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, or that word could also mean overseer, that desire, you desire a good work. It's a good thing right now if you, in your heart of hearts, have the desire to be an overseer, to be used by God to oversee and to lead. That is a great desire. And then there's a measurement. Here's how you prepare yourself. A bishop or an overseer must then be blameless. Circle that word blameless. And right next to it, above accusation. Above accusation. The picture here is not perfection, because if it was, if that's what the word meant, hey, you must be perfect, guess what? None of us qualify. There, there's no way in the world that God would require perfection in leadership, understanding and condescending to our humanity. But he is looking for blamelessness. The idea is that there is, listen, you might even jot this down. The idea behind blameless, you can put it right in the margin, is that there's nothing in your life that you're holding on to that you know is absolutely wrong and you refuse to deal with it through repentance. That is a disqualifying mark in your life and mine. You're living a hypocritical life perhaps or you have some, what you think is a hidden sin 
You think it's hidden and it's under control and everything's fine and, and I'll still serve and I'll still be a great leader. You're, you're not blameless. The idea also has the thought that when accusations come, and they will, they won't stick. We have seen recently, have we not, prominent pastors accused in the media. Huge accusations. One recently, I remember hearing it for the first time on the way into the office on the radio, and my first response is, that is not true. There's, the accusation was so way out there. It was so beyond belief. It was so insidious. It was, my first thought was to give the brother the benefit of the doubt. There's no way he's doing this. This guy's a liar. I can't believe he's, they're believing him. Why are they giving him radio time? Why are they? And it wasn't but the afternoon where the accusations were not only true, but there was more to them that came out on that radio show that morning. That is an example of not living above reproach. Living above reproach is that all these accusations would come, but when they look into it, they find out that the guy bringing the accusations, or the gal for that matter, is a liar. Not true. That's what blamelessness is. That if you and I live a life where accusations can stick, where the enemy, you know the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren in Revelation. The accuser of the brethren. When the accuser of the brethren comes that he has an accusation, he doesn't have a hook to place his hat of accusation on. It just doesn't stick. It's just not true. If you and I can't live beyond accusations and they just keep coming and coming and they're, they're turning out to be true, there's a disqualifying mark. You need to deal with the things in your life and not hide them, not think that you and I are going to get away with them. Paul wanted to have a life that was above reproach. He was transparent. And how we need more transparency in those that lead in God's church. Transparent. Where as a leader, you can say, hey, look, my life's an open book. Follow me around. Look through my email. Check myself. Well, you could do, my life's an open book. Now, being transparent and authentic, that also means you can't be placing pastors on some pedestal so, you know, find out, you know, he just, he made a mistake or he said something out of anger or he was fearful or whatever it might be that you're like, hey, he's a human being. Praise God that he's a human being empowered by the Holy Spirit because if God can use a knucklehead like that, guess what? He can use me. <laughs> And we need to come back to authenticity. We don't need to put on a show for anyone. You can say and I can say that I am what I am by the grace of God. I haven't made it up. I haven't propped myself up that there's true authenticity, there's true transparency, and that's the type of life that will lead to blamelessness. Dealing quickly with the issues in your life, humbly. Paul wanted not to abuse his authority but instead wanted to make an open way, an open way for as many people as possible to believe on Jesus Christ. And the essence that the attack was coming was all about money. Unfortunately, not much has changed today. 
There are still pastors and churches and congregations. There's still people taking advantage of genuine, sincere believers for the sake of dishonest gain. It's still happening today. So that accusation floats through churches. It floats through our church from time to time. All you care about is the money. Anyone that says that is wrong. That's the least of our concerns, money. God will always provide finances. He'll provide finances for our church. He'll provide the finances that you need. He'll always do that. You just got to trust him. And automatically we start to think, oh, no, Ed, you don't understand. I'm in great need right now. Then wait on the Lord. Right now is a season of trust. And one of the decisions, we touched on it in depth last time. So if you want to know a little bit more of our philosophy toward finances here, we touched on it in our last study. But one of the things that we touched on was how important it was not to make money an issue. And that was one of the reasons why we decided not to take a formal offering here as a church. Not because one way is better than the other. Either way, the giving unto the Lord is an act of worship. But very early on in our ministry, we decided just to put a little box out. It was already, we already, you know, the fellowship was already going on for a few months, and Pastor Dave had had a box already, and I'm like, wow, that's a great idea. We'll just keep that box, and we'll tell people, obey God by giving unto the Lord, and there's the box. Go use it. And it's proven to be very beneficial in our desire to take away yet one more barrier And you could be like that right now. You could walk into a building like this and misunderstand this building. Like, whoa, you know, last time we visited, you were in the school. You must be a a really different church. Not really, except that we have a facility that we can use 24 hours a day, seven days a week now, but we're really not much different. There's really not much difference to the ministry here. We still want to exalt Jesus Christ. We still want to make him the central focus of the ministry here. God has expanded our abilities to reach more people with the gospel. He's entrusted us with more. But of course, you know what the Bible says, to whom much is given, what? Much is required. So the ministry might have changed a little bit from the years in the school in terms terms of width, width and depth, but it also has changed in terms of responsibility and accountability unto the Lord. We just want to take a barrier away. We just want you to know that we are not interested in your money. You can keep it in your pocket. You don't need to write a check. You can just keep it. Because eventually, you'll understand. Eventually, you'll understand that when you're right with the Lord, it's not your money anyway. It belongs to the Lord. Eventually, you understand that giving is a way that God has used over the years to bring maturity in his believers. Because every time you give, you give a little bit of your selfishness away. And when you start to give sacrificially, then you start to really have to trust in the Lord. And God begins to build your faith even more and build your trust even more. And when you and I fail to give, we we disobey in giving, I'll tell you right now, God will remove it from you one way or another. Now, I don't know that there's always a cause and effect in that. I'm not saying that. But I know in my life, early on, I remember my car breaking down and and I had money to fix my car or I could take that money and obey God and give like the Lord called me to. And what did I decide? Fix the car. And so I did. I fixed the car, you know, because after all, hey, I can't go to work. I don't have a car. I can't give anymore. You know, I got it all. We're we're very, very good at excusing our behavior. Very good at it. I don't know how good you think you are, but I've been very good at it over the years. 
And so you fix the car and you go, okay, great, everything worked out well the next time to give. And then, and then guess what? The car always needs to get fixed over and over again. And the Lord keeps bringing that test back. What are you going to do, Ed? Will you honor me first? And my answer sometimes would be in those early years, well, I'll honor you after I take care of business. And the Lord would say, are you going to honor me first? Well, you know, God, I, I mean, you know, I got to take care of this and I got a wife and a new baby and diapers. And you, want, you don't want my kid walking around just like pooping on everything, do you, Lord, you know? <laughs> and just having those conversations with God and it's like, and you know what he kept bringing back? He probably bringing it back in your life too. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But I have met believer after believer after believer after believer that has taken that first and tweaked it just a little bit. And the way that it's been tweaked is that they seek first all the things of the world. They jump into the things of the world. They, they, they jump in. It doesn't even mean you live for the world. It just means you're tied to the world. You're stuck in the world. You don't understand how to use this world for the glory of God, and you're just in it, and you're of it, and, and before you know it, you're wondering, where's the righteousness of God? It doesn't come by seeking the world first. The righteousness, the holiness, the wonder, the grace, the mercy comes by setting, by you and I, just setting our lives toward him first, and then these things will be added. This world system has lied to us, sold us a bill of goods, taught us along the way from a very early age about how to consume things upon ourselves. And just a few things that we need to unlearn. So many people, and I, it might even be you, just think that churches are only interested in someone's money, and our heart was to help try to clear the way in one small way. I love the testimonies coming back week after week where we'll get a call or we're, we'll get a note and say, you know, I can't believe it. You guys forgot to take the offering. What do we do with it? Well, just pop it in the mail or bring it in next time. We didn't forget to take the offering. God is taking an offering from you and I all the time. He's requesting an offering from us all the time. Money, time, commitment, sacrifice, surrender, humility. It's more. It would, be, it would be really easy to substitute giving unto the Lord by popping a check in there and saying, I've done my duty. That, not so. That's just a small part of your life. How about the offering God asked for you for humility? When are you going to give that to him? How about the offering that God's asking? He's been knocking on the door of your heart for a long time. Hey, would you stop it? Oh, no, no. I gave. I gave. I'm, I'm very religious. Where's your relationship? Oh, how much of the Bible you know, but really, how much do you really know? You know why? Because the more you study the Bible, the more you should learn how to draw near to Jesus. Jesus said in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Studying the Bible is not some academic exercise where you and I become smarter and smarter. The Bible actually should make us feel like we need to know more and more of him. Paul would say earlier, we looked at it in an earlier study in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, knowledge does what? What does it do? 
puffs up, but love edifies. It's very evident where people spend their time by where their attitude is. Haughtiness and pride. Huh? Gaining some new knowledge lately, huh? Well, you know, I've been studying all my life, really. Even as a baby, just pulling out the Bible as a baby, out of your diaper, you, know, you walk around and pull out your switchblade, you know? It's like, oh, all your life. Well, you know, not all of my life. Oh, so, so your attitude isn't even like telling the truth. You haven't been studying your whole life. You couldn't read till you were five. You couldn't understand until God quickened your heart. See, we want to remove barriers as much as we can. Because so many artificial religious barriers are set up. And so we've chosen and we have from the very beginning just there's boxes scattered out throughout the sanctuary. Obey God. And if you do, praise God. It's between you and him. If you don't, it's still between you and him. <laughs> it's funny because in the church world, I've mentioned this before, but as a pastor, there is another sphere that I live in that you may not be too familiar with, all the pastor magazines and all the leader magazines. And, and I'm still very interested in the church planting magazines because in my heart, I'm always, I, I always want to have that perspective that we're planting a church. We've never arrived you know, you plant a church and go, whoa, you know, two years, we're there. No, 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 you never arrive. God is always doing, wanting to do something fresh and something new. And so I, I still have some church planning magazines and articles that I read online. And the topic of not taking an offering actually came up. And the pastor that was writing the article said, it's foolish for you church planners not to take an offering because if you took an offering, you would get 35% more offerings. And I just shook my head. They don't get it. They just don't get it. Training a church planter to do things because it's pragmatic. Hey, you want 35 cents on the dollar more? Take an offering. How about this? What if God has said, don't take an offering and just obey him? How's that? And learn how to do without 35% more. Maybe that's God's will for your church. And they put this undue pressure. So when you see new churches popping up around town, pray for the pastor because they're under great stress and pressure to make decisions that are not godly. Just because of pressure. And it builds so much anxiety in their hearts. What should I do and should I, did I do it? I think that the, it, they listed this in the, it was an article on like the top 10 mistakes a church planter makes. Let me give you top number one mistake that a church planter makes. Number one, not obeying the Lord when he puts something on your heart. <laughs> it's the same mistake we make as believers, just not obeying. And so we've tried to follow this model in various ways where, just like Paul here in verse 18, I don't, we present the gospel without charge. Freely we receive, freely we give. And we know that you draw near to the Lord, he'll draw near to you. We know you expose yourself to the preaching of the word that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. We know that. And all the other areas are just matters of discipleship. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. What you heard today is part of our series in 1 Corinthians. Are you interested in hearing it again? Just go online to calvaryco.church. 
Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through our apps. Search for Calvary Church Aurora, and you can download both our church app and the Grace FM Colorado app. Each month, Pastor Ed recommends a book that he believes will be of some help to your walk in Christ. And here in the month of May, he's picked out The Holy Land Key by Ray Bentley. The Holy Land Key is a real eye-opener to little-known aspects of prophecy. You'll learn how God's master plan is revealed in the seven feasts of the Lord and the significant prophetic patterns discovered in the lunar cycle, as well as receive glimpses of God's future kingdom as revealed in the stories of well-known figures in the Bible. We'll send this your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryco.church. That's 877-30-GRACE. Those that prefer to write, here's our mailing address, Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. Glad you've taken time out for our study in the Word in 1 Corinthians. Join Pastor Ed Taylor all week long as we continue to learn how to live by God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.